This episode deals with issues concerning suicide and depression. If you require support, please see the links provided in the show notes. Welcome to I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. My name is Troy and sitting right next to me is my co-host, partner in crime, dynamic duo. I feel like I'm a crime-fighting Brian. Right next to you, I mean, figuratively, yes, I'm right next to you, but, you know, we can see each other. Let's say that. We can see each other on the magic of the interweb. Yeah, well, you say that, but the truth be told is we've just got up from a little bit of lying in the dark and listening to Carmen's the third heaven, which was pretty stirring. It was beautiful. I was I was taken right back there to people's imaginary heaven. It was a lovely place. That's right. Imaginary angels, imaginary heaven. It was fantastic. Now, Brian, I'm a little bit excited today because, and, and I don't say that flippantly, I mean that. As a matter of fact, I hate it when people say they're excited when they're not excited. It happens all the time at work. Oh, I'm just so excited. And you look at them and you think, you're not fucking excited. Calm the fuck down. But anyway, I am excited because today is one of our best friends and a guy who was with us in Great Big AOG. I, I, I'm excited too and I genuinely say excited because we, we will take a bit of a trip down memory lane. This person is a bit of a legend. Like We love him. We think he's a fantastic bloke and we have journeyed with him through parts of his life, You know, some of those early days in Pentyland. We have caught up also in the last few years as well. Obviously not during COVID, but because that would be breaking the rules and stuff. But we have caught up. Troy, tell us, who is it? Well, it's Andrew. And Andrew is a really good friend of ours who journeyed with us at Great Big AOG. He was part of the youth group at Great Big AOG. He was also, from what I'm told, at Bible College with you which was part part of the great big AOG story. You know what? I'm, I'm going to stop introducing him and just say, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Hey, g'day, fellas. Thanks for having me along. Oh, look, it's our pleasure. And yes, we will, we will dig into some of those stories. We were at Bible College together. We both dug in and pressed into the Lord and, you know, all those sort of things. <laughs> we prayed for revival together and, yeah, it was an amazing time. But you've got a really cool story, Andrew. That's the thing that I, th- you know, that the reason why we had you on, not just because you're our mate. You've had a really, really interesting story, a really interesting journey. And like us, you've got your share of good times, bad times, trauma, the whole bit. And we're really looking forward to hearing from you. Yeah. So why don't we start with you telling us who you are, what you do, and then maybe take us back. How did it all start for you becoming uh, a fundamentalist. Were you, in fact, a teenage fundamentalist, or did this start a little bit later for you? Currently, I'm uh, working in the UK uh, with one of the top 200 uh, corporations over here in in the sector of aviation security. I started my teenage journey way back in uh, Victoria, uh, country Victoria, and a place called Bendigo, and I was actually at university when it all kicked off. So I was an evangy an evangelical in an Anglican church to kick off with. So I would have been about, oh, I suppose about 19, 20, yeah, around there. 
Well, let's say 19, Andrew, so that way we can say you're a teenage fundamentalist, all right? Yeah, let's go 19 then. <laughs> no one's going to sue us for false advertising. It's 19. We're calling it. It was 19. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I actually went to a concert held in, in one of the halls there with a mate from college, and it kind of all kicked off from there. And that's how I started. So, and I was part of a youth group in, a, in an Anglican church within Bendigo. From there, once I'd finished college, I then went uh, down to Melbourne. And that part of that story is as a teenage fundamentalist, I was not only moving away from a college life down to Melbourne, I, was, uh, I had to find a new church. I was also going down to Melbourne to join the Australian Football League umpire cadets. So I'd been selected to go there and train and try out to become an AFL umpire. So this was all happening in the background. When you, when you say college, what, what was uh, college? What was the context of that? Uh, I was there and I was completing a three-year diploma in health sciences to become a nurse. Well, I didn't envisage myself to become a nurse, but that was the, the big, bigger plan was to do that, then uh, work for a little while, and then maybe come back in and, and do physiotherapy. I particularly was focused on becoming a physiotherapist in sports medicine at the time, but that never eventuated. So uh, once I'd finished the training, I then went down to Melbourne to, to hopefully become an AFL umpire. But in the background, there was all this stuff happening as well. So, Andrew, did you have a conversion experience before you came to Melbourne when you're in Bendigo? You said you went to a concert. Did you, you know, raise your hand, walk down the front? What what happened there? No, no, I was, there was none, there wasn't a Pentecostal altar call of any kind. Actually, there was when I think about it. Yeah, there was, but I didn't respond. I was, I found myself stirred up by it and I was, I was a bit pissed off with some of the stuff he was saying. I don't know why, um, and it was kind of after that I then went back with him to meet his, um, not his pastor, but his uh, rectal, and um, we sat and had a meeting together and he started to take me through. It was a very Anglican way of bringing you to the Lord. You say certain things, you say certain prayers, and uh, at the end of that it was like, well, okay, I'm now a Christian. So I did feel a bit lighter after going through that at the time, and then it was kind of, back to school. Did you get baptised not long after that or did that happen later on? That later on, yeah. Well, when you say you felt a bit lighter, what do you mean by that? Was this a physical thing? Was it a spiritual thing? Talk us through that. It was kind of, God, it's been so long ago. I haven't thought thought about this for a very, very long time. When I was in in his office and he was taking me through these, these steps and, and confessing that Christ is Lord, Jesus is the Christ, uh, stuff like that, at the end of that, I just remember feeling physically a weight had come off my shoulder. So from there, it was like, oh, wow, I've done something. So it was a physical thing. And I suppose at that time, at the beginning of your journey, it was a, it was a spiritual awakening as well. So, But the lead up to that, you know, these things that happened at college, you know, in the conversations I had with my mate and his friend, who, by the way, was secretly praying for me, he revealed later on, to come to the Lord. So... It wasn't a a big thing like what happened in Big AOG where you go down the front. Um, it was very much a quiet in the background type of thing. You know, you sit in the office, you go through these steps, you say the prayers, you've confessed him as Lord and now you're it. Very British, very Anglican, not American <laughs> at all. No. I understand. <laughs> Which is interesting because, Troy, when we've spoken before about the Toronto Blessing, 
like we've we've spoken about the different um, aspects and and expressions of it, and you know the expression I saw was a very American expression, really off putting, and, and I was completely turned off by it. But Troy, you you did have a, an Anglican experience of it, which was very similar. Andrew was Andrew was there with me over in yeah. the, in the southeast of of our city. We were going to an Anglican church, and I know he connected to the minister, you know, very much as I did. So yeah, that we, we sort of shared that. Andrew, and, and I keep wanting to call you by your last name, and I won't. Andrew, because <laughs> that was your nickname, right? So so you landed in Melbourne. You found you, you said you needed to find a new church. How did you find a new church? What what were you looking for? Or did you sort of fall into it or Jesus led you there, didn't he? <laughs> uh you you've hit a trigger point for me. Um I can tell you the context at the time. I was in a very in the battle dealing with my sexuality, which I was dealing with by myself, no one knew I wasn't discussing this or expressing this with anyone. I ended up actually in a private psychiatric ward. So that, that, that was about, that was very close to where big AOG church was. So one, I'd found out when I left Bendigo, I heard about this church. So I left the ward and I went looking for it and I found it. And so I went and attended one of the services. And it was kind of from there that the uh, the relationship with Big OG started. But, the, you know, the background of that was one of, of, of that trauma of coming to terms with your sexuality at the same time. So... I did. There was an altar call, and I went down, and and they prayed for me. Oh God, there's all these memories coming back now. Um, did you respond to an altar call at that stage? Is that when that happened? Yeah, there was some. There was like a message came out. Um, you know, there's someone here, and and I felt like it was it was speaking to me, so I went and responded to it. Uh, I felt really pulled and drawn. It was very strong and very compelling. So I did respond to it, but it's in a context of psychological upheaval is one word I'd use. You just, your whole mind is battling what's going on uh, and you're looking for relief. You're looking for escape. And so when I went down to the front and I responded again, this time a real visceral reaction to being able to release the pain of what I was going through. So do you do, do you feel like in hindsight or even at the time that the particular vulnerability that yeah. through the issues that you were having around your mental health at the time yeah. contributed to you being more susceptible to going up the front? That's a really good question. When I was there i mean i'm i'm watching the whole circus unfold around me so you know the three fast songs uh the three slow ones you go into the shumbalumba and then you know there's the word and and uh the message is interpreted and and then we get into the uh the sermon and then we have at the end we have uh you know the altar call and there's that slow music again so it kind of leads you oh this seems like a okay you know and they seemed like pretty joyful decent people so I just kind of responded and went down 
The guy who I caught up with after that was uh, Pastor Jay from your youth group. And uh, and from there, that's where I, I, I started my uh, speaking in tongues. He was pretty determined to get me to speak in tongues. So, so the same night, the same night that you went down and responded? No, that was later. It was, it was sort of like within a few days later. So I'd, I'd come back. I don't know why. Uh, I'd come back and uh, I met up with Pastor Jay. We went to his office and he, <laughs> he had the hand up and he was... It was going hammer and tongs, yeah. So had you heard of speaking in tongues before that? Had you experienced it? Like had someone told you about it? You'd obviously seen it at least that week at the service. You'd heard the yeah. seat buckler and the shamba shamba. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd only I'd only seen it in that context. I'd, I'd read about speaking in tongues and maybe had a conversation back in Bendigo, but no one in, in that, that part of my journey ever spoke in tongues it was very anglican yeah so how was that experience then when he was praying for you was was he just praying for you was he telling you to let it go let go yeah. let god all that kind of stuff yeah tell us yeah about that. absolutely it was exactly like that so and i was kind of excited i thought well, what's this new little goodie that i can uh, enjoy you know so and it was part of it too was taking my mind off what i was dealing with psychologically so it was it was kind of perhaps now i might be able to leave all of that behind and focus on something really good you know and uh go down that path did you did you feel like you were you know not only you're part of that experience of going up the front accepting jesus speaking in tongues all that did you feel like you also had support or was it just a distraction that's that's a good way to frame it i don't I didn't think of it in the context of support. I, I just responded to what I was feeling at the time. I think the proper context would have been support. I felt like there was something happening within me and around me where I, I was I was moving away from a place of feeling alone in this situation to now moving in among a group of people where I could, um, yeah, start to feel freer, think more clearly, see a bit more of a direction I wanted to go. It was it was good. I have to admit, at the time, it was it was quite good. Was I vulnerable? Well, the short answer to that is yes, but I wasn't thinking in that category. I wasn't thinking I was vulnerable. Um, I was just simply responding to what was happening around me at the time. I wasn't trying to infer definitely that there was a manipulation or a preying on your vulnerability, because I, I do think that when when churches are good, like any support system, they are there to support you. Yeah, my my personal experience. And I've spoken about this before in the pod. Generally, it's time limited, so because they'll start praying for you, and if there's not an answer to that prayer in the answer that they want for either a releasing you from whatever issue you might be presenting with, well, time runs out and they move on to the next one. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. In a sense, when you're going down the front there like that and they see this new face that they haven't seen before, on their part is this excitement. Oh, my God, we've got some fresh meat, you know, and you could almost, you know, the spiritual salivation going on. They're going to bring someone into the the kingdom of God. So, you know, that for them, that's exciting. Oh, we've got this new guy. And you know, having that excitement around you and then people coming up to you afterwards and maybe introducing you and saying hello, it was, it was all kind of nice at the time because... I'm in a city 
by myself trying to become an AFL umpire. And then suddenly I'm discovering uh, people coming, being supportive. So did you commit to the church pretty much straight away or was there a process that you went through to really sort of become part of the community there? There was a camp coming up. So I met Pastor Jay and I met Pastor B, uh, who was the youth group leader at the time. And so after meeting Pastor B, I uh, then was asked, would you like to come to camp? So I did go to camp and I, uh, that was full on. <laughs> it's not like an Anglican camp. <laughs> they were the, the kids in, those, in that youth group, because that was the, the, the junior and the senior youth groups together at this camp in the middle of bloody whoop whoop. It was full on. I'd never seen anything like that. They had a guest speaker and I just remember sitting back and they were so let's pray. So, you know, I'd sit on the and put my hands up and quietly go into prayer like an Anglican does. And these guys were shunned to bubbering and jumping up and, you know, going look, looking for the chandeliers. So I was I was completely, what the hell's going on here? So but you know, over that the course of that that camp, you you do begin to form relationships and bonds with people so that was kind of the beginning of really getting in to get to know people in the group and it was after that that I sort of decided to get more involved with the youth group can you remember what year that was oh um I think that was in the early 90s so around 91 92 very similar time that I came into great Big AOG. I came in at 1991, so I think we were around about the same time, uh, I do remember. Yeah, I, I came in about 91 as well, Brian, and Andrew, you were definitely already there when I turned yeah. up, so it could have even been earlier than that. It might have been 90, 91 for you. And, and look, my I remember first impressions of you, Andrew. Uh, you were larger than life. Like you were someone I remember looking to going, this is a guy who loves God. This is a guy who knows all the shit. He knows, um, you know, he's on a trajectory. I mean, I, and, and really want to unpack this with you, but my first impressions were this is a guy who's on a trajectory to be in ministry full time. This is a guy who is absolutely someone who I um, would like to hang out with because I reckon I could get closer to God. That was all the stuff I remember. I remember meeting you. I remember thinking, this guy knows he's the shit. Like he's the shit for Jesus. So, yeah, that's right. ha, you know, absolutely, that was my impression. But, but before we do go on, I, I just want to because you have said it several times along the way. You were saying that you're struggling with your sexuality. Yep. What is struggling with your sexuality mean for you? Because it can mean so many different things to so many different people. But for Andrew, what was the struggle with sexuality? It was an internal battle and it started back in Bendigo. So it was, for me, it was very much a hidden thing. God, where do you, I don't, how would you, I guess the context is I came from a farming community. So it's a very traditional conservative type of background. The only talk of people who are gay was always in um, derogatory terms. So, you know, faggots, poofters, things like that. So the only time I heard stuff was always in a negative context. And when you start to see that you have these feelings and these thoughts towards someone of the same sex, it's it's something you keep to yourself because what's around you is telling you this is not good. 
Then when I got to church, it was another whole level of shame that was piled upon you, that, you know, you're an abomination, you're all those words that you've heard from the pulpit, you know. I remember Pastor B up there, let's pray for the homosexuals. What do you need to pray for them for? What is it, what is it they need special prayer for? That God would deliver them. Deliver them from what? And so it's just it just piles down in on you. You keep putting Jack back in the box and it gets wound up and wound up and wound up. And that eventually over a period of time uh, leads to a place where you've got a something's going to pop. The pressure inside builds. Yeah, you, you just you just struggle with it by yourself, guys. It's, it's very much over to you. <laughs> so, Andrew, thinking about back in Bendigo, what was their view of homosexuality? Was it also abomination, damnation? Yeah, very much. Uh, it's it's the sinful in the eyes of God to be gay. Uh, you couldn't be gay and Christian at the same time. So a, a, a classically conservative view of Scripture but one that I would now say that is it runs along a set of train tracks, but it doesn't take in the broader scope of what the scriptures were actually saying. So at that time, were you looking for church and God to to fix you, to yeah. help you get rid of this? That's that's why you were there. Absolutely, I remember uh, in, a, in a I was having a bit of a mental crisis at one point and. I uh, saying, I thought this stuff was supposed to cure me. So you can tell from that type of language, I'm thinking of myself in, in categories of shame and disgust. And, uh, you know, there's a torment that you go through internally with that. So you shared that point of view with them or you bought into yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. So, but what you guys saw was, was the facade and the happiness, but, Underneath all of that, there was a, a lot of a lot of stuff going on, you know. And I wasn't talking to anyone about it. I wasn't, you know, doing it. I wasn't dealing with it in a healthy way. So, but you know, if I had have come out to to uh, the youth group, can you imagine what would have happened? I saw what happened uh, with a couple of guys, and it cost them their lives. And I think I have actually spoken about one of these guys uh, in a – maybe it was even back in season one uh, where I spoke about this guy who very obviously was is struggling with his sexuality. He was also using drugs. He was into the party scene. And I remember he re- – and you probably, probably remember this guy. And, you I know, do. he was really involved um, and he was he was part of it. But as soon as he strayed, as soon as he overdosed once, I, the pastor's wife said – He's not part of our youth group because I'd ask, why is no one visiting? Why is no one around him? Because he's not part yeah. of the youth group. Because he hadn't fit into that mould of the accepted behaviour. So, it, you know, it, you say that, I mean, it pisses me off. Um, but um, And it pissed me off even back then, but probably not to the degree where I'd speak out. But yeah. homosexuality is not allowed. 
but being a greedy fucker, not caring about the homeless, not caring about social justice, the things that, you know, if, if you believed in the person of Jesus that was presented in the Bible, he spoke yeah. about that. He spoke about looking after the poor. He spoke. I don't believe that Jesus was God. I don't believe any of that. I've, I've said that on this podcast. But if, if you're a Christian and you are saying, I am a follower of Jesus who believes these things, but they cherry pick and they cherry pick you cannot be gay, but you can be all these other things. How does how does that make you feel? Like, is this something that you were processing at the time? Is this something that you sat there with and, and thought consciously about? Oh, oh, you betcha, uh, especially when I went to Bible college. Oh, my God, that's that's where my eyes got open. When I, so I started off at uh, with where you went, Troy, out out in the boonies there. I remember. I remember when you were there. Again, you were larger than life, and there you were at the Breadmakers Bible College. <laughs> so the Breadmakers Bible College, I remember <laughs> being in a room there absolutely distraught, and I prayed and I prayed for hours, literally hours, after we'd finished our lessons. And I was in that room, and I was going hammer and tongs, just calling out to God to help me, help me, help me. And then eventually I left, and then long story short, I went to Bible College. It was when we had, I can't say his name, can I? But there was a, he was a New Testament RW. scholar. Yeah, RW. Yeah. I had such a connection with this guy and such a deep respect for him, the way he spoke, the way he taught. And I remember when he started to teach us hermeneutics and how to unpack it all and, and, and decipher it all, I started to read. And, and, and that's when I started to realize the bullshit that was going on around me. You know, and all the sweeping of stuff under the carpet, the double standards, the don't don't stand up there in the church and sing I love God, and then you go out and you fuck around and do all this other shit, and then you come back to feel good on the weekends. You know, it was, yeah, I was a bit judgmental, so I was thinking, you know, how does it then impact me? I'm not so bad when I start to read this and all the stuff that I heard being preached from the pulpit about being gay. That's not what this is saying at all. And that's when the cognitive dissonance really kicked off and got became really, really heavy. And um, I just remember it was a major, major battle. But it, it drove me to a point there. I, I have a memory where, oh, my God, they um, when I eventually disclosed to Pastor B, I went and had a meeting with him and I said, I need to tell you something. I think I'm gay. He was quiet. He responded, and he came up with a a, a a quote from the Bible: "You'll reap what you sow." <laughs> it's like, which direction are you trying to push me in here, sunshine? So, can you see how that might might have uh, impacted me? I'm about to disclose something incredibly personal that I'm struggling with, and he comes back and says, "You'll reap what you sow." Unfortunately, it's true to form, um, and and we've seen it too many times, and we've certainly unpacked a very similar story with so many people. But sitting in that moment, yeah, tell us. And I know it could be painful, but tell us what yeah. did that feel like? What was going on for you? Instead of finding understanding, um, I felt myself having to read. Treat. So it was this double thing. I wanted to be free, but 
I couldn't be and I was being chained down again. And so what I always said at the end of all of that experience at, at Big AOG was they would take, they'd lift one lot of chains and take them off you, but then they'd go and pile on a whole other different kind to make sure they keep you in check. Uh, I can think of different things along the way that, and what people said to me. Oh, God, it just it just made me retreat into myself that much more. I just felt <laughs> one moment, yeah, they love you, and then the next minute with, with the knowledge of the truth, everything changes. And from that point on, I started, they put me on church discipline because of uh, this disclosure. Then I was being taken out of um, leadership roles. So what was the message from all of that? I'm sorry, Sunshine, but you're not acceptable. So, Andrew, did this happen when you were at Bible College? Did this happen before when you were at Bible College? Yeah. So you went to them. So uh, forgive me, and, and, you know, if if you don't want to tell this, you know, even anonymously, that's fine. Feel free to just, we'll shunt this question, but... Were you were you acting on on this? Were you is is that what this was about? Or was it, it was did, you know what I'm saying? Did you go to them and say I'm gay and here's what I'm doing, or I'm gay and here's what I'm struggling with, but I'm not actually doing anything? What what did they react to? <laughs> um, I think that the first reaction is just to the word because it brings up in their mindset you're someone who's really bad. And then they try and reason with you and say, well, I love the sinner but not the sin. I love you, Andrew, but I don't love this other part of you, which is mega BS. How do you separate your sexuality from from who you are, you know? Was I acting on it at the time? No. Um, But afterwards, yes, because I thought I've got to – I've got to find out, is this right? Up to this point, it's just in my head. And then is it true? Do I go, <laughs> do I have an affinity with same-sex same attraction? And the answer is yes, because believe it or not, around the corner from where the church was, there was a uh, gay pub. And so I went there a number of times to go and check it out. And I even had a drink. So and I met people there and it kind of, and I even went under a false name. Oh my God, I changed my name. So just in case I ran into them down the street and they called out my name, I wouldn't respond because it wasn't my normal name that I'd respond to. So there was all of this, this um, what's the word? Uh, I, was, I was still trying to come to terms with it, but getting more and more conflicted because of what I was feeling and thinking, the same sex attraction, but it was clashing with this this view that the Pentecostals have about um, being gay and a believer. So, yeah, it was, oh, my God. Uh, I'm really sorry, Andrew. I'm really sorry that that happened. I'm sitting here listening to your story and, you know, obviously it all happened later on that it became public knowledge. But I think by that stage I think I was gone. Well, you know, they, they had had me in cancelling their own version of conversion therapy. So I was, I was meeting with the, the local church psychologist and um, I was attending sessions for that. Um, and that that was a particularly painful time. And I was at Bible College, I think, at that 
and it wasn't working. It was actually making things worse. It was like pouring fuel on the fire. And I, I got more and more distressed uh, and traumatized by the whole thing. And eventually, you know, I left the church and then I tried again by going to the little place in and and that's when the shit really went down. Uh, that that was the kind of stuff that really rips your heart out. So I remember breaking down there and having to leave and I never went back. And so by this time I'd, I'd, I'd met someone and what was really the stark contrast here I was in a place that says that loves God and God loves you. You are safe here. This is a sanctuary. You can be free here. But that's not what I found. What I found when I, I became, you know, honest about who I am and, and that was I found exactly the opposite. I found pain. I found trauma. Uh, I found rejection. I found alienation. And, and this, this, uh, this unique Pentecostal form of suppression and oppression but where did i find the love where did i find the understanding in the arms of another man who just took me as who i am for what i am I told my story where i was coming from and it was just this it was like night and day what do you what do you think it is i i often reflected on this while i was in the church and I've reflected on it often after I've left the church, that homosexuality is seen as the greatest abomination, like it's the mm -hmm. greatest insult to God. But as I said before, there's so many other permissible things. There were so mm -hmm. many other things that blind eye was turned all the time. What, yeah. What's your take on that? I mean, it's something that honestly still confuses confuses me and i've had people reach out since we've been doing this podcast and we had i don't know if you listened to it but we had a, a triple episode with anthony ben brown about his journey with homosexuality yeah. and particularly someone who's a you know high, pro, high profile minister i've had people who are either still in the fold or still believers and in inverted commas saying you cannot be gay and be a christian they're in opposition i don't get it I, I truly do not get it. But what do you think it is? Well, first of all, I'm thinking of those people who might be listening to, to this right now. If you are same-sex attracted and you have a, an, orient, an orientation to someone of the same sex and you're in the church, you are absolutely in the right place where you're meant to be. You can be both. There is no conflict of interest here. Uh, and, and I found that out through my own reading. You know, love is love. Where there is love, you'll find God. Where there is God, you will find love. So if, that, if that's the, what's motivating you in your relationship with someone of the same sex, you're not in conflict with God. You're expressing him through that love. But mind you, at the time when I was coming, sorry, when I was leaving the church, I was still conflicted about that. But that was more to do with my own uh, struggle, Brian. It was is is about me trying to work stuff out. I had so many questions that I I couldn't get answered, and it just one question led to another, to another, to another, and it just became too much. And it wasn't until that day I decided. I said, "No more questions. I'll just take this. I am who I am." And that's when it, I started to settle down, and started to um, look at things a bit more clearly, and not get caught up in all that that 
bundle of um, pain and, and um, rejection um, from the church. Gradually, over a period of time, I realized if you're going to go to church and come out, make sure you choose the right church because I remember I was at Bible college speaking to the dean of that Bible college. Uh, this was when I went back to visit and say hello. Um, and all hell broke loose. He started summoning uh, angels to cast devils out of me and all kinds of stuff. You know, it's just this bullshit that goes on. You can't even have a decent conversation about things at the time. And I kept saying, what's changed? You know in me all this time. So what's changed now? What's changed? You know, they, they can't. They can't fathom. As soon as you say that word gay, bang, the switch goes off and you're judged. You're going to hell, son. No, I'm not going to hell. So, Andrew, are you saying that you went back to visit and what did you enter into prayer with these people? Like why all of a sudden are they calling a garrison of angels to come <laughs> at you? How, how did that happen? I, I just I want to understand how it came to that, that you go to visit them and next thing you know, they're calling a garrison of angels to cast the demons out of you. Tell me about this. Oh, okay. Um, so you know about RW, and so you remember uh, IW? He was the dean. I, I do. And and just a, a slight segue with IW, this was the same guy that I remember standing up in front of us at Bible College and saying that they should abolish the Medicare system, which is the same as the NHS in the UK, yeah. because it stops the miracles of God happening. Because there's That's a safety right. Yep, there is a safety net there for people. And if they didn't have that, then we would see a greater presence of God on earth. But I sorry, I had to do that segue because I was sitting there thinking about it going, fuck, that pissed me off. And I remember arguing at the time. Back to you, <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> yeah, so I went to talk to this guy and I was talking about would it be safe for someone who was same-sex attracted to be able to have that conversation in a space like Bible college and not, not get hammered. And when that came up, there was another student who, who IW brought in. And I, I asked the question, if, if a young person came up to you now and disclosed to you that they were gay, how would you deal with it? And it was from there, Troy, that they called on the garrison of uh, angels, you know, and I remember he, IW just flew off. He just, his voice, he got really loud. It was kind of aggressive as well. It was like it was a, he was in war mode. And I'm standing there and I'm just calmly saying, calm down, there's no devils here. You're talking to me. It's Andrew. You've always known me. But he was, shunder, runner, runner, God. And he was going on. And I was like, there's, there's no, you're not having to deal with the devil here. You're dealing with me. And that, for me, was, was a partially liberating moment because I realised it was almost like an out-of-body experience where I was watching the reaction and it was, like, it was like a, what happened in that moment with IW in that little room, his office, was a reflection of the wider church's response to someone who's same-sex attracted. And, you know, and someone who is, is gay uh, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, they're just being them. But this is what they're met with. I want to have a conversation. I want to try and reason with you. I want to understand what's happening with me, but you guys don't want to do that. 
You just want to judge me and you want to bury me. It's 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 definitely difficult to bargain with Satan, which is obviously, <laughs> you know, who was who was behind all this. Um, and but this is what I mean, and I, you know, I'm not looking for an answer. I guess I'm looking to raise yeah. the question: is why yeah. the fuck is that such a focus? Why is the church so incredibly threatened by homosexuality or another view on sexuality? It's it's really interesting. Uh, I just... Can I can I throw something in there, Brian? Because they're obsessed with sex. You know, I mean, my story of the revival center, and you know, and also you know, early days of Great Big AOG. They're obsessed with sex. They're obsessed with straight sex. They're obsessed with missionary position sex. I mean, we heard recently we had Bree on telling us that she was told what positions to have sex in as a married woman, and all of a sudden this, you know, and, and that's how obsessed they are with that. And all of a sudden this is an absolute aberration to them, you know? So I, I think that's a big part of it. I'm not saying that's all of it, but definitely just the fact that it's so far removed from their ideas of the way you should and shouldn't be expressing your sexuality, it's, it's, it's just too much for them, I think. But they only think of the sexuality in the context of sex, and sexuality is not limited to sex. Sexuality is also about your love and how you care for someone of both sexes or however you are gender identify. So you're right, Andrew, because let's face it, homosexuality is not just about sex. And it's an unfortunate name, really, homosexuality, because it's, yeah. you know, it's much more than just sex, isn't it? Right. Um, it's yeah. about love. It's about attraction. It's about companionship. It's about, you know, desire. It's about so much more than just, just an it, act, just a genital to genital act. What I, I guess what I'm trying to say is when I think about what was happening in the, in the church context and how they view it, because they're so narrow-minded to the, the sex, they don't understand it's about relationship. It, it's about the bonds that you form with people in a healthy way. You know, you can have a good friendship with someone who's not gay but they and they paint you as this, this sexual deviant, but you're not a sexual deviant. You are being your natural self. And they'll say you're, what you have and what you do is unnatural, but it might be unnatural to them, but for the person who is same-sex attracted, it's completely natural to be attracted to someone and to form a relationship and a, and a trusting bond. So it's not just about sex. It's about love. It's about trust. It's about confidence. It's about being authentic. It's about being real. You know, It's about no longer hiding. It's about embracing yourself and accepting yourself for who you are and that from that point on instead of surviving as a gay person in a straight world you can now start to thrive get out there and be who you are doesn't you know they they had in the conversion therapy all your woes all your problems in life were because you were homosexual utter utter fucking bullshit there is nothing wrong with you if you've got an addiction it's not because you're homosexual if if you've got broken relationships, it's not because you're homosexual. That's all I want to say. So, Andrew, you walked away from Great Big AOG, and then you yep. said you went to another small church. They yep. had an Exodus program, correct? Yeah, <laughs> like yes. full, full full blown Exodus gay conversion was was it full gay conversion? Was it a a watered down version of of that? Tell us about well, what happened there. 
Um, that was that experience was one of the most traumatic episodes in my life. I remember the guy who was appointed uh, to cancel me. I met some of the other people who were in the program. Um, and I've got to say, in reflection and hindsight now, as lovely as those people were, I've never seen more tortured souls in my life um, because of you know this this idea that you have to be straight to be acceptable to God. What can I tell you? Uh, the guy who was cancelling me was attending um, uh, another church at the time was called CCC, and he's previously was a male prostitute, and <laughs> but he. When I met him, he, he wasn't doing that anymore and he was, um, he had, I think, married. And I remember sitting there and he, he asked a series of questions and I, he hit some pretty important trigger points for me, I guess, at the time. And I had a breakdown uh, right then and then and I was howling my head off. Lo and behold, I didn't know that someone else had walked into the building that time, another pastor and he relayed this story to me later. He said, I'd never heard uh, such, he heard me crying. And he said, it was just coming from your soul. He said, you're in deep, deep pain. I left. I finally hit, hit a place. <sighs> Do you want to stop, Andy? It's all right. If ever there was a time where I felt a hole had opened up beneath me, it was that day. If I didn't have around me at that time the love and the support that I found, not from the church, but... Uh, I don't think I'd be here having this conversation with you. They drive, they drive people to their to their deaths, and the one thing that became very clear for me after leaving Big AOG was how much blood they had on their hands. I, I know of three guys in that that youth group who took their own lives, and one was overtly. Claire and I got to meet him and, and talk to him briefly and I was devastated when I heard the news, what had happened to him. But I, but when you, oh. and then there was another fella, he was about 26 and another guy who was about 23. Two other lives that, you know, taken from him and those bastards sit there and say how much they love God and they couldn't be there to support someone who really, really was reaching out to them. And, you know, that was almost me. Afterwards, further on down the track, I did attempt to take my life a couple of times. And it's, um, yeah. And, in fact, you know how you asked me the question at the start, how did I find the AOG? The reason I was in that psych hospital was and I was in there, I actually attempted to take my life while I was in there. And it was after that event that I then walked into the AG. So was I vulnerable? You bet. 
Was I looking for answers? Yes. And initially they provided some answers. But in the end, they didn't have the answer because their eyes were closed. I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to to sit in the place that you sat of battling with your sexuality, with being told that it's wrong, being told by the keepers of salvation that you can't have both, that you must choose one. But one is so inherently part of you. Is It's in your DNA. Like how do yeah. you change that? And I think that's something you've you've felt and you've you've battled with, and I I, I honestly cannot imagine. It. And I think our listeners have, have heard the pain, the very real pain of twenty five odd years on, maybe even longer. That that pain is still so incredibly real. It is something that holds such a power over you. Is it mm. something that you you still feel? angry about bitter about or is it is it something different for you i don't know how to answer this one and right now i'm actually thinking about people who might be listening i do want to say things do get better you start to unpack and you start to make sense of stuff once you get out of that environment which is toxic to you you have to leave the environment to start to make sense of what's been going on it's, it's that hindsight. It's looking back. And the further you get away, the better your view gets, the wider you start to see things. When you're in the middle of that storm, when it's happening, it, it's, like the, it's like a Ferris wheel going around 1,000 miles an hour and there's all these things you, you're trying to do. You can't deal with it. You have to take yourself away. And, and you've got to take it. It's an abusive environment. It's psychologically abusive. It's spiritually abusive. You know, no one physically harmed me, you know, or beat me or, you know, but on a psychological and spiritual level, it was definitely abusive. So you've got to come away from that. And the pain, yeah, it's still there, but it does get better. It's moments like these when you go back and you, you go back and relive it. And I suppose you might say that's um, PTSD, you know, uh, post-traumatic. Yeah, and you can go and get some support and counselling for that. Uh, and to make sense of where you are. But what is absolutely and fundamentally correct and does not change, there is nothing wrong with you. There's certainly something wrong with them. It's a really important if you, when you come out, you first of all have to come to terms and accept yourself. Once you've overcome that hurdle, then you can talk to others, you know, and, and you can be, you can do, be, you know, choose choose wisely who you tell because um, the people who you think are going to be there to love and support you, they won't. I remember guys coming up to me. I was at some bloody youth event. Uh, where, remember, remember when Howard Brown came out for the Toronto Blessing? What was the venue they held it in? And that's where they had all the Youth Alive events as well, remember? I remember being there. I forget what it was. But I had these guys, it was the knowledge was out that what I, what I was struggling with. And this guy came up and sat by him beside me and he started with all sincerity and intent to tell me, you know, um, Andrew, you know, you, you know, and in the end I just said, told him, mate, fuck off. You know, you're not helping at all. Go away. So you do reach a point where you say enough's enough. 
and I'm not going to take this anymore. I don't have to take this laying down, <laughs> no pun intended. I can stand and defend myself. And thank, thank God <laughs> for RW because with those skills that he taught us, I was able then to stand and defend myself. And they don't like it. And in the end, they just, they just write you off. And I was going to say, it's interesting. Like, I, I don't know where he stood on this, but do you think RW was someone who was gay affirming? I had some, uh, as part of my uh, conversion, I was to meet with him. I don't know if you guys knew this. No. It was all very hush-hush. And I would meet with him and he'd spend time with me and mentor me. And he was the, the loveliest person. He had a heart of gold, he and his wife. Where he stood at the time, he, he was actually really good. He said, the Bible doesn't condemn you, Andrew. There's nowhere here where Christ himself actually deals or addresses with this. So he had a much more open mind at the time. But if you had gone to the others, <laughs> you'll reap what you sow. You know, you'll call in the garrison of angels and cast them out. Yeah, there was there was lots of other stuff there as well. So that that obviously brought you a bit of comfort. That, ironically, the mentoring and the um, conversion therapy, for lack of a better word, that they had appointed you to was something that actually, in the end, empowered you to be able to accept who you were. I remember. When I started that conversion therapy, I became so unwell. I think I lost a lot of weight very rapidly. And they had me convinced that I had AIDS and I hadn't even had sex with anyone. And so they took me off to go and see a doctor uh, away from the church. He was in the church. He was a well-known person, but he couldn't do it. So they set me up with someone else way out way, way out, and they thought I'd had AIDS That's because I'd lost so much weight so quickly. That absolutely screwed with my head. And this was, you know, in the early 90s when guys were still dying from it, they still hadn't found treatment uh, for it. And what I found out at the end, it was again, this is later on after he left, but it wasn't, I didn't have AIDS, I was depressed. So they, they were treating me for AIDS when they should have been treating me for depression. Well, let's face it, they shouldn't have been treating you at all. Exactly. I remember the couple that you were living with at that time were convinced that you had AIDS. And I was good friends with that couple. And I remember them saying that to me, that you had AIDS. Um, they, you know, they perpetuated that myth. Yeah. It's interesting. No, I didn't, I didn't have AIDS at all. I was deeply, deeply depressed. Just, just so you know, I, I didn't think you did either, but it was part of the myth perpetuation. By that time, um, and and you may remember, I had well left Great Big AOG. Um, I had gone to a more moderate. I was at the uh, Baptocostals at the time, and certainly yeah. experienced a bit more grace there than, or a significant amount more grace. So I, I didn't buy into that but it was certain it, it just I just guess I wanted to reflect that it is something that I'd heard too. Andrew can we turn a corner you forged a friendship with Anthony Van Brown for example and you must have yep. found communities of people that could help you sort this out 
what happened there? So when I left, I did did try. I went back to a, a church in Melbourne that was it was basically all um, people who were gay and lesbian. It was just a tiny, tiny little place, but that ended up becoming um, rather traumatic as well. Um, and that was because the de- one of the deacons there decided to fill me up <laughs> and assault me in the middle of the church. So I left there. So I didn't find comfort and healing in a church setting. But what I did do is I tried to set up a, a community group for people who'd come from church backgrounds and begin that process together of um of talking this stuff through and starting to face it and, and confront it and move on from it. So I that, that group ran, I think, for about several weeks and then unfortunately work at the time took didn't the hours I was keeping, I couldn't continue to lead the group. When I got to Sydney, I saw an article written by Anthony Van Brown and I'd heard about, because he was known as Tony Van Brown when he was in the church. I kind of replied to this article uh, in the local gay rag in Sydney and uh, he reached out to me uh, through the uh, through that uh, publication and we kind of met up and that's when things started to form. And so he'd formed a Freedom to Be. Yeah, Abby was later on. So he'd started this group called Freedom to Be and that's where I became part of what he was doing there. He led that group and he led it really well. And that's when I got to meet other like-minded people in that group. But I also went further and I got involved in, in other, other stuff as well while I was in Sydney. And that was great. It was really, really good. And that, that, um, I was really starting to settle down. You mean other support groups? No, I mean, I had to, con- there were times there, there was, you know, you've seen some of the pain now and I still had to deal with that and I, I had to get a bit more support for that uh, at, at different points. But that friendship with Anthony was crucial. The, stu- the stuff that he was talking about, what he was sharing and, and imparting was really, really good. He'd, he'd obviously been able to work through it and it was resonating with me, more importantly. So to Anthony, I'm, I'm forever grateful. He, he's part in helping me <laughs> walk walk through um, and make sense of what was going on was really, really good. So, yeah, deeply grateful for that. And what about accepting yourself? You know, you had to come to a point where you said, there's nothing wrong with me. This is normal. When did that happen? Wow. I don't remember an actual point in time, Troy, when that happened. It, it was a It was a process as far as I can remember. It's a bit like the picture I have in my head is a guy that has all these chains and he's kind of taking one step in front of the other and as he, you know, he goes, a bit more of the chains fall off and it gets lighter and lighter and lighter until you stand up and you don't have those chains anymore. That's, that was my, my experience. It was just over time. What's the residue from all of this? Like that you, <laughs> you've, ob- you've obviously, you're scarred. We're all scarred from our experiences, but what are your scars? But also one thing that we do quite often try to, and sometimes we've got to try very hard, is to find some of the silver lining, some of the positives. But first, tell us about what are some of the things that you carry with you still? Hmm. I, I th- the first thing that comes to mind is I have a, uh, is it a wariness or a suspicion towards anything religious? 
I find myself at different points I get um, really shitty with people who come from Pentecostal backgrounds. I'm thinking more here like the American type of uh, um, Pentecostalism and they get in your face and they start throwing Bible. I'm, there's a visceral reaction to that. I guess you call that a trigger. Which is ironic, Andrew, because you were part of the street team with us and we used to Ex- do that to people, right? So, exactly. you know, I, I, I don't mean this in a harsh way, man, because it's the same for me, but like there's, I don't know, there's a, there's a karma there, dude. There's a karma there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because because let's face it, in our Facebook group, a lot of people talk about were you a Brian or were you a Troy, meaning, you know, did you run from being in your face with the faith or were you out there, you know? And Andrew, you and I were cut from the same block. We would <laughs> look for any angle to start a conversation and bring someone to Christ because that's what we were convinced. Yeah. But anyway, I'm sorry, I, in- I interrupted you. No, no, no. Well, I was. you've just reminded me. I remember going to the Speaker's Corner in Melbourne there, in central Melbourne. And I'd stand up there and, and and hone my skills, you know, speaking to people in public. I did all of that. You're very much right. As much as I was feeling the pain of the messages I heard from the pulpit on a Sunday, I was sharing those same messages out. So I was condemning myself at the same time. Talk about two-faced. It wasn't until after and later you, know, you, you realise what, what a dick I was being. Now, I was going to say, do you think you were trying to cancel yourself out? Though so you're, you're thinking if I pay my penance here if I actually preach to other people if I bring enough people to the to the Lord if if I do all this good stuff that maybe that'll cancel out the fact that I'm struggling with my sexuality I mean I'm projecting here and and saying what I think might have been happening but does that ring true at all it does uh you're very much looking for that that place where you can walk through the door and and shut it behind you and it's all behind you but it's not real. That's not how it is. But that was me uh, trying to escape from it all, and it didn't work. It just didn't work. You know, I had the—I wanted to say—I had the conversion therapy set up at, at Big AOG. I then went to the Exodus program, and then I had a third crack with a guy up on uh, Albury, and I had another guy there as well. And it, <laughs> so after three times, you know, you realise this is not going to work. Three strikes, you're out. Yeah. You're out. It's been a harrow, harrowing experience for you. It's been, we've heard your pain. You know, we've journeyed with you in parts of it, certainly far from all of it, but parts of it. Is there any good stuff that has come from it? Is there anything that you actually look back on and go, any of it was good or anything that you learned from that that you go, these are things that I will take forward for the rest of my life? Or was it all just a steaming bucket of turds? No, there was definitely good parts in it. Some of the interactions you have with people along the way uh, are really special. You know, I think of um, yourselves. I especially loved getting on that motorbike first thing in the morning and heading off to Bible college. You know, you're you, you going through the cars there with you, Brian, and you, you're bumping their wing mirrors and you're going, sorry, sorry. <laughs> it was great. I'd pray for them. I was praying for them. <laughs> I also, uh, the interaction with uh, RW was particularly special. I had good good moments there with um, Pastor B. I remember <laughs> having a conversation, what, what sexual acts can you do as a Christian that are acceptable in the eyes of God? And he was telling me, so yeah, could you give blowjobs? Is that, you know, is that Christian enough or not Christian? You know, things like that. <laughs> so we had these strange conversations. 
yeah, the people I met, the community, I miss one of the things we had in the youth group was that you'd meet up and, and the times that the fellow, yeah, they call it fellowship. Yeah, I miss some of that community. I got some of that when I left and I was I participated in different groups within Sydney and it was really, really good, you know. I miss that now because, I, yeah, I miss it. I remember, Andrew, you were there at some of the, you know, some of the stories I've told in the podcast, like the time we were there and that person felt was slain in the spirit and we started saying that they had, you know, they had a, a, a demon and that person had a demon and they fell down and started laughing and you and another guy took over and we had a whole exorcism to get this mocking spirit out of this person. Oh, that wasn't me. That was someone else. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was another guy named Andrew. He was straight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have been looking at his shoes and a handbag, surely. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gold. So, you know, I mean, you're scarred by this. There's, there's so much shit that's happened. Do you have any any belief in the other world, in sp- anything spiritual, anything He's, tr- to he's trying God? to say God, Andrew. He's trying to say God. He doesn't like to say it. I have these, I fluctuate. It kind of depends what's happening at the time uh, and where I'm at within, in myself. What's the word Agnostic. I want to believe there's something really good, you know, and you can have a higher purpose. I, I, I like that idea, but I don't see it in practice, you know. I, I still speak in tongues from time to time, um, and I find myself in bed at night and suddenly I'm, you know, just quietly, I'm going, what's that all about? And then there's other times I'm revolted by just the sight of religious people and how they dress themselves up and try and betray their piety and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm, I fluctuate. I remember meeting you in Hong Kong, Troy, and you asked me that question. And you said, it's kind of where are, you, where are you at now? And I think I, it was a similar type of answer. Maybe you could share it, but I was kind of still processing stuff. And I think I always will, to be honest with you. I'll be always processing. I was in an angry atheist stage there, so I just wanted to hear you say, no, it was all fucking bullshit. That's all I wanted yeah. from you. Anything less than that was not going to fly, Andrew. Even sitting in the uh, mid-levels of Hong Kong. Yeah. I've still got the photos of where we went to hang out and have something to eat and drink. And now, you know, it's like I take away from from that whole experience of, of, of the religious phase or the, the church phase you do, there are some genuinely very good people. And if there's anything I've taken away from it is I can spot the genuine ones who have a good heart. That's what I'm trying to say, have a good heart. The rest of them, you know, whatever they're at, they're at. But there's very few that are the genuine deal. I think one thing that's sort of interesting for us is, you know, and we, when we caught up a number of years back pre-COVID, I think, you know, to some degree we're trauma bonded, you know, like we've all gone through it. It's, it's yeah. like being, you know, comrades, brothers in arms. We've been in the, in the foxholes, so to speak. And I think in that sense, and, and I've got Revival Centre people as well who are very similar, you know, that I, I connect with because they get it and they understand it. Yeah. And whilst it's not something you'd wish on anyone, at the same time, we have got these relationships and these friendships and other people that can understand. And I dare say 
that's partly what the Facebook group is about because people come along and they sort of understand each other. And when I've heard some of the talk about PTSD, you know, dealing with my own PTSD, I've done a lot of reading and yeah. therapy and those kinds of things. And there is a a part of belonging. And when you're with people that can understand, that's when you come alive oftentimes, depending on what your trauma is in your, when you're in a group of others who feel the same way, can understand, then you can start to open up. You can start to pour it out. And I think that's what we unexpectedly stumbled upon with the podcast. But I want to say one more thing, Andrew, before I stop monologuing, and that's we really love you, man. And from the start of this, I knew we were going to get you on the podcast, not yeah. just because you've got a story to tell, but because, you know, you're one of us and 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 also, you know, you've got a really good radio voice, to be honest. <laughs> oh, that's the first time I've heard that. Well, I remember Troy. You were as evan as an evangelist. That was your your thing. You were very much an evangelist. Yeah. Do you know what's ironic though about that? I was thinking about this the other day. I wasn't actually very good at it. Whilst I gave the appearance of being, you know, out there and in your face and preaching and all that kind of stuff, I don't think I led too many people to the Lord. I think my friend okay. R.H., who we're all friends with as well, I think he was actually better at it, and he was much more sedate. And he was still out there, but he was much more sedate in uh, in the way he did it. And I think he actually brought a lot more people, in, in air quotes, to the Lord. Whereas I was, I don't know, I was just more song and dance. And I think you were born in the wrong country. So I believe that if you were born in the US, you probably would have brought more people to the Lord because it's that zeal. They really go for that zeal. Whereas in Australia, you tell someone to, someone to do something, like me, you've experienced this with me, I'll tell you to fuck off. Like, don't tell me what to do. I, if, if someone says to me, oh, I need you to do this, like, oh, do you? Well, how about you go and fuck yourself? So, I mean, and, and I think it's it's not just a Brianism. I think it's an Australianism. We, yeah, we well, will do know, that. I, I spent my wonder years in the US, right? Like my father was in the military and, you know, we were over there for a long time. And even in the work that I do now and the company that I work with, I get the Americans. I really yep. do. And and I think that's part of what attracted me to Pentecostalism too, because especially Australian Pentecostalism, it's very American. Even the way, you know, we were talking about that the other day with Brie, you know, even the way that they dress, it's just very American and it's very conservative American. Yeah. I'm looking at the clock here and you're going to start your day being in the UK and we're going to wrap ours up, but we just really want to thank you for being a part of this. And, and like I said to you before, Andrew, we love you. We really do. And, and sorry if this has opened up, you know, too much pain for you, but I know that your story is just so powerful and needs to be told. And, you know, thank you for, for doing this. I really, really appreciate it and love you, Andrew. Really do. Oh, guys, look, thank you so much. So on that note, I'm going to wrap it. Thank you very much again, Andrew, for being part of this. Brian, I'll see you in a fortnight. 14 nights. See you then. <laughs>